Hey guys, super excited about the conversation today with Stuart Lindsay of Edge Hill Golf Advisors and also with Pellucid, only because they're, they're data guys, marketing research, data, all on the golf industry, performance metrics, all that stuff jives so well with what KPI Golf stands for and our whole set of beliefs. So really cool conversation. We're talking about growing the game, talking about from the golf course owner's perspective, what things they can be doing, how, how they can be using data to their advantage and winning new business. So hope you guys find this one really helpful. This is the Golf Essentials Podcast with Casey Bork. Yeah. They, I mean, you know, this big supposed rules change and stuff, they've just made a bigger deal about it because it was a little bigger you know, number of changes in theory than before, but, you know, they, they got a 700 page, you know, rulings book. Right. That tells you they don't even understand the rules once in a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, all you have to do is watch TV and watch, you know, one official give relief to one guy and not give it to the other guy or give yeah. a different form of relief. So, you know, and, and the problem is we make it so confusing to the, you know, to the normal um, golfer, you know, the public golfer, they just give up on it. Or a new golfer, they think the rules are so complicated and stuff, they don't bother to um, spend any time learning it and just don't realize that it actually adds to the enjoyment of the game. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems like such a tall mountain to climb that, you know, it's easy to just not bother even trying. Well, and then most, you know, most new golfers, they lump etiquette and rules into the same, you know, complicated pot and just look at it as a, you know, nonsensical mishmash of stuff that they have to learn about or else they feel, you know, inferior, insecure when in reality, the you know, golf etiquette, the reason somebody hits the person farthest away hits first, it's actually just a safety issue. Yeah. And once you explain that to them or once you show them the cartoon with everybody dressed up like knights next to the first tee, <laughs> you, you, uh, you know, you basically dispel the etiquette part of it very quickly. It's more practical. And, and yeah, and, and not only that, but now they understand there's a reason for it. Yeah. And, you know, when we, we wrote the original curriculum for the first tee, I don't know if you know that. No, no. The, uh, yeah, the, um, we're sitting down in uh, one of my original partner's offices and I asked him, I said, he's an avid hunter. And I said, they got hunter safety schools for kids before they can go out and hunt with their fathers, right? And he said, yeah. I said, well, why don't we, you know, an introduction to golf, you know, we, why don't we pattern it after the five parts of the hunter safety school? Sure. Which we did. And then we took this five part curriculum to the Milwaukee County park system and they gave us a nine hole golf course to implement this teaching program for kids. Wow. And then that, a year or two later, the first tee started, and it became the second first tee facility in the U.S. 
And at that time, the, U, the first T adopted the five-step instructional curriculum that we had there. Now, hmm. uh, you know, no we'll kidding. never get we'll never get credit for what we did, but there sure. are a couple of us still alive that know what we did. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, but uh, all of a sudden, you know, especially for the kids, you know, when all of a sudden, once they understand the reason, it uh, etiquette doesn't become a question anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other questions of etiquette and why, you know, somebody should, you know, the low score gets the honor on the first tee and stuff. That's all stuff that they'll pick up over time. And then in the quest of getting people to, you know, play um, faster, um, everybody goes to, you know, ready golf, where the person on the first tee, you know, just hits when ready. Sure. We call, we call it Admiral Dewey golf, but the kids don't understand the history of fire when <laughs> ready gridly either. <laughs> That's right. Um, but you know, maybe it spurs them to learn about the Spanish American war or something, <laughs> but, but anyway, the, so the rule, you know, the rule changes, you know, and everybody's making a deal out of this drop height and everything else. I mean, I think it's kind of stupid when you think about it. I don't know why they get preoccupied with it. Cause the guy, you know, I mean, dropping it from shoulder height, you know, a guy that's five, nine, uh, is dropping it from a lower height than a guy that's six, six. Sure. And so the impact on where the ball ends up, you know, just from the laws of gravity make that difference. So, you know, they're trying to make it uniform, but they're trying to deny nature. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It know. seems like splitting hairs a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, no, I, I I think we could do a much better job as part of the onboarding. You know, I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of what we talk about is, you know, how do you introduce people to golf? How do you get them interested? Um, we could do a lot better job of uncomplicating um, the rules instead of just letting this perception stay out there that they're all a bunch of, you know, confusing things that don't make sense. Yeah, yeah make it less daunting for those newcomers, r remove at least that, that one of many barriers to entry for people to get into the game. Yeah. Right? And just explain how simple the rules of etiquette really are. And they, yeah. so that they don't get lumped in there with the, yeah. you know, with the rules stuff. And then the other, you know, the other problem we have, I mean, in, when you get to the heart of the problem with golf is how do you get people to stay involved? And, yeah. you know, um, what happens is that everybody today is pretty much familiar with stroke play and stroke play only. They don't really, uh, except for every couple of years watching a match play Ryder cup situation, they really don't get, um, introduced to match play. That's far more interesting. And yeah, you know, a way that it, it really is the way that golfers of different abilities can play with each other and can have fun competing. So sure. But we, you know, we've lost the, you know, you, you go up on the USGA website and there's no instruction on match play. Um, there's, you know, you read the rule book and that just makes everybody more confused because some of the rules are different in stroke play and match play. Right. But the default setting is stroke play in most cases. 
Well, and I mean, unfortunately, match play isn't good for TV. Yeah. So the PGA exactly. Tour, the PGA Tour has had to emphasize, you know, stroke play. I mean, when, you know, before they started televising the Masters in the fifties, and golf was not on TV, people would be surprised at how many of these events were match play. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even you know, you take a look at even the U.S. Amateur and stuff like that are still match play events. It's just that people aren't aware of it. Yep. And you know, it's actually, it's tailor-made too to, you know, these kids that are married to their phones, uh, you put a good scoring app with, uh, people putting their handicaps in, they have something to do from the green to the T on their phone. So they don't feel, you know, the withdrawals. (laughs) (laughs) So that, and it's a little bit like automated scoring and bowling, you know, all of a sudden Nassau is automated. The scoring is at automated, but you know, that doesn't (laughs) kick in until you educate them about match play and get them a handicap. Yep. That's right. And you know, then they raise the price of the handicaps to a point where, you know, kid says, I, you know, I'm not going to pay $70 a year or a, you know, 25 year old golfer. I'm not going to pay $75 a year to have an internet handicap. No. You know, I, I only play 10 times a year. That's like adding $7 to my price of golf. Well, right. Okay. And the USGA wonders why their handicap participation is down 40%. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but you know, the rules, if you talk to anybody about rules or most golfers, part of the satisfaction of golf is trying to play by the rules. You know, it's just part, I mean, it's a chance for you to, you know, demonstrate that at heart you're an honest human being or try to be anyway. Sure. You know, so, I mean, and that, or at least try to act that way for, for four hours. Right, Stuart? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's plenty of time to tell, you know, off color jokes and yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff too. But, um, (laughs) You know, but at least you, at least you try to be honest doing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, Stuart, I want to, um, I want to change gears a little bit and try to, uh, try to, try to dig into a little bit to your, your specialties. You know, um, yeah. I see you as the, the, the data guru, and um, you know, I know, I know your background a little bit, but maybe you can give us like you know, a two minute background on where you're coming from. I know you're doing a lot of work with, uh, well, you got Edge Hill, but you got, you're doing a lot of work with Jim at Pellucid and what you guys yep. are doing there too. Uh, yeah. Well, I kind of, I, um, I got sucked into the golf business by accident. Um, I came up through the outdoor power equipment and farm equipment business. Uh, when I, my first job out of college, I did all the initial market research for John Deere into the commercial turf market before they made any commercial turf products. Um, so that was my initial, um, instruction, not only in fortune 500 market research, but also, um, my first exposure to how golf courses bought equipment and, uh, what they were looking for and, and just how golf course maintenance was accomplished. I was 
lucky enough to have one of the people that educated me was a top superintendent in Wisconsin, and he spent a lot of time with me and taught me a lot. Um, and then eventually, um, someone introduced me to um, a couple people in the golf business. One of them hired me to do a consulting project that was fairly sizable. Um, I completed that, and the next thing you know, I had other people um, calling me to do a variety of things. And then the other thing that I did when I first got into the business was started tracking technology use. I, in the ag business, I got involved in the internet before Al Gore invented it uh, <laughs> back in the 80s before it was even known as the World Wide Web. Yeah. Um, so I started doing work on automated T-sheets and the interaction with um, touch-tone phones is how it all started in the late 80s, hmm. um, where the municipalities were always getting busy signals. Um, so what they did was put in these uh, interactive voice response uh, computer servers so that uh, they could have 16 phone lines coming in and people could make their reservations using a touch-tone phone. Um, you know, when we'd do a telephone use study, we'd find that golf course was getting 190 or 200 calls an hour and only taking about 17 of them. All the rest were getting busy signals. Wow. So the automated T-sheets came in, and then um, some of them were frightfully expensive. Uh, and then a couple companies came out with lower-priced um, automated T-sheets. Uh, and we had a couple of those as clients. Um, so I met a lot of the original people in that, in the technology part. Uh, one of those was for reservations who I met early on and, uh, he eventually called me and I actually acted as a consultant to four reservations for 16 or 17 years, mm -hmm. uh, until they got bought by golf channel. Um, so I have a, a pretty healthy background in technology and had four as a customer for a long time and some other software companies in the course of time. We helped a mobile app thing get started a few years back that's been successful. And then uh, when Copenhaver came into the industry and founded Pellucid, um, someone sent me one of his newsletters. We met for a meeting and and uh, got along pretty well his market research background was also fortune 500 at Kraft, so we had a lot of stuff in common just just to interrupt just for a second Stuart, pellucid uh is it's accurate to say that you know they are producing data and information on state of the industry type stuff and more macro industry trends and things like that would that that be fair to say? Well, that's kind of how it started. Although, mm -hmm. um, as you know, from the couple things we've done for you, mm -hmm. um, our macro data can also get translated down into the local golf course level to where it for can sure. be used by a golf course to identify how strong their market might be, 
how diluted their market might be, how many golfers they've got, how many competing golf facilities they've got. Um, so what we did, what Pelusa did, um, was we we put every golf course in the United States on a map with a mm -hmm. GIS system, and then we have a demographic, uh, bulk demographic platform that we use, and then we input all the different golf participation data that we assemble. Um, you know, in the old days, the National Golf Foundation was the only source for that type of information. And Jim uh, felt that Pellucid could be a unbiased source for that information rather than the NGF, which is effectively a trade organization. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, Anyway, he created the, the Golf Local Market Analyzer platform, or we created it, and this is back in 2002, maybe. And we've enhanced it over time. Uh, and then the next question we wanted to answer was, um, how do you evaluate golf course performance uh, without taking into account how many days of weather impact there was um the uh you know it used the old saying used to be if business was uh up it was superior management if business was down it was bad weather right right um so what we did was uh jim knows his way around the information business as well as anybody i know and he found a weather vendor, um, and this is not as easy as you might think, that has access and keeps 30 years of hourly weather history for all the US official weather reporting stations in the United States. Wow. Aside from the University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, which are two of the leading meteorological um, universities and where the National Storm Weather uh, Center is. Um, our guys are one of the few people that have that 30 years of data. So what we did with them um, was create a definition of what constitutes a golf playable hour. Mm -hmm. And we, we created and we've then take, taken our GIS platform and made it every golf course in the United States to its closest official weather reporting station. So we can pretty much um, have a golf course call us and pull up weather data for their specific golf course and tell them how much weather impacted their golf course from year to year, month to month. Um, and even by day of the week. Right. Um, so those are our two main platforms, but they, so we, we not only know what the national trends are for participation, uh, but we can also translate that data down to giving a local golf course, uh, giving somebody a profile of their local golf course and see if they, you know, face any unusual challenges or um, and we can do that in the old days. It used to take me two weeks to do a feasibility study and gather all the data for a, either a new golf course project or a 
a lot of times I'd get called in to look at projects that didn't go quite as planned right. um, and evaluate <laughs> a feasibility study that wasn't very well done, for example. Um, but that used to take me a long time to get that data. And now with the Pellucid platforms, um, I'm able to pull that data in a very short period of time. So it's, but we, we do an equal amount, I think, of both national, regional, um, but in the end, you know, our interest is in helping individual golf courses run more profitable operations. I mean, that's what I've done for 30 years. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing I think that's really cool because, I mean, we share that, that mission. Our, our company is the same thing, right? Helping underperforming clubs compete and, and win. And I mean, our company is called KPI golf It's K, K, KPI is a performance indicators, right? So it's all about data and making fact-based decisions rather than, like you said, if things are up, it's, it's great management. And if it's down, it's weather. Well, let's, let's look at it factually and try to figure out where the, where things are working and where things aren't. And um, so we love Pellucid's statistic, statistical data-driven approach. We're going to continue to use you guys a ton. We're going to lean on you guys heavily as we ramp things up too. So it's. Well, we appreciate that um, as well. And we've, you know, your partner um, we've known for a few years. Yeah. Um, and he has a, excellent track record as a golf course management company. And um, also, I mean, you've shared some of the approaches you take to golf instruction, which are very unique, probably won't make any friends at the PGA of America. But <laughs> um, as we look at what's necessary um, to um, get golf back on track or to, you know, get people in involved in the sport um your approach to instruction is really a, a critical point um yeah. and i think well, unique and then the other thing is is when we look at the trends in data and how data is being used and misused you know a golfer can come and visit your course and you get their email address but they're um if you're signed up on a third party marketer, for instance, or you barter tea times with somebody to get your point of sale software, those golfers, um, your third party vendor, and then a lot of other people in the golf industry are after your customer too. And mm -hmm. their goal is to disintermediate that customer from you. Whereas a golf course operator's first job is to make people happy while they're there. And the second most important thing they can do is make sure they come back right. or give, you know, put every effort into making them choose your course to come back to, as opposed to going somewhere else. Um, so we, we dissect point of sale data and help golf courses with that. And we, we track, um, you know, the values of individual customers. Um, you know, we identify at risk customers, whose usage has dropped or stuff. Mm -hmm. So the data part of golf is going to do nothing but become more and more important. 
And, uh, you know, if we want to attract, um, you know, the, the people between 25 and 40 um, into the game of golf or back into the game of golf after they were exposed as kids, um, you know, doing this digitally and using technology wisely is just going to become that much more important. I agree a thousand percent, a thousand percent. I mean, there's so many other industries out there that are using data appropriately and, and using it to compete favorably and, uh, golf courses and the golf industry, that data is still very fragmented, you know, and, um, you guys are doing an incredible job of, well, they're bringing that stuff together and making it at, at least feasible, right? Yeah, um, I mean, and, point and of sale plus, systems and things. Yeah, pl- plus the you know the ease of of getting all most of the point of sale systems have you know transactional data. Most of the top um, platforms today are tying are integrated and tying customers to their volume of transactions to the transactions and what they bought Uh, and that data is all there Mm -hmm. what the pos people fall down on is in aggregating that data and providing easy query tools to get that data out usable yeah i mean and this applies to um comparative sales reporting you know, so that at the end of a week, you know how that week compared to the same week the year before. At the right. end of the month, you know how this month compared to the month the year before. Um, that stuff can all be automated now when it's stored in the cloud effectively and easily. When it was all, all the data was residing at the golf course on a local survey, server, it was not as easy. So Agreed. Agreed. some of these technological advances are, you know, relatively recent. Um, but the key is to develop the tools to use that data because what's happening is Google is using it and they're selling it to somebody down the street that wants to know who played golf in their area. Mm-hmm. Facebook is doing the same thing. And so if you aren't active in communicating with your customer, Google knows if you have an Android phone that you visited a golf course. Yep. And they're selling that information all over the place. Right. And Facebook, Google shares that information, that location information with Facebook. They won't tell you, they'll tell you they're like competitors or whatever. Or they don't, you know, that they don't talk, that's, uh, it's BS. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what happens is that the golf course is having their customers disaffected and they don't even know it. So what happens is that just makes it that much more critical that a golf course has to guard its database and use it because other people are using it against them without their knowledge. Yeah. And that's, that's a topic of a whole other conversation, right? I mean, yeah. If you're, if you're um, getting the data and you're you're doing a good job of of aggregating this data and bringing it into your database and protecting it, then you know how do you deploy that information in a way that benefits your facility? That that's a whole other that's a whole other leg of the race. But yeah, uh, but I mean, in terms of how you know how we try to function in the marketplace, I 
you know, I mean, all you can do is, is point out these trends and we've been, you know, I mean, we've been doing our annual state of the industry thing down at the PGA show for 16 years. And we, you know, we've gained a little bit of traction with that and we've developed a pretty good reputation for being ahead of the curve on, you know, critical issues in golf. I mean, we started talking Mm -hmm. about the lack of millennial or Gen, Gen X participation five or seven years ago before, you know, anybody even talked about it. We talked about the concentration of golf being played by people over 55 and yep. what impact that was going to have on revenues with more and more golf being played at senior rate. Yep. Um, all, and all of those things add up. Um, if a golf course can pay attention to a few things, and and uh, implement a few tweaks, they'll end up finding some money. Um, you know whether it's raising their senior rate or their senior age from 55 to 65. Do, do it a year at a time so you don't take it away from anybody. Yeah. But you don't want to be given a 55 year old that's still gainfully employed and in his highest wage earning capacity. Why would you give him a senior discount? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's sort of, I've read all your stuff and you know, that's sort of a frog in the frying pan circumstance, you know, that, that creeps up on clubs without them realizing. Yeah. It's a real subtle thing, but I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we, you know, we try to get it. I mean, it's, it's a little bit like, you know, your instructional program, you know, junior golf is great. We, and I mean, you know, it's feel good money, throw it after the junior golf, junior, you know, kids that are 10, 12, 14 years old, you know, or even younger, they're involved in other sports. They're involved in tennis. They're involved in soccer. They're involved in baseball, football, field hockey, lacrosse. And they don't really come back to golf until, you know, after all their, you know, high school athletics and intercollegiate whatever you know intercollegiate stuff they do they come back to golf eventually um is an outlet for competition so you know we're fishing in the wrong pond i mean you have to do junior golf development but we aren't spending nearly as much time on providing clinics to people that are 25 to 40 years old to get them back involved or back in the game of golf and get them and keep them involved that and you know these this generation is you know really you know they've been brainwashed into free (laughs) yeah and i i I can't agree with that more though i mean we we and junior golf is a wonderful thing we need we need to get our kids involved but we, we do get romantic about the junior programs when the return on that investment is 15 or 20 years away, while we've got a population of 20 to 40 year olds that are right there, they're earning money they're They have some time on their hands and they're, they're the quicker win, right? Well, I mean, not only that, but if we went through, we went back through history uh, with golf participation. We, Mm-hmm. You know, we have golf participation data dating back to 1980 that's consistently applied. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went back and we're able to measure golfers by age group. 
And we went back and we looked at it and said, okay, you know, this, the 60 year old golfer today, you know, was a 40 year old golfer at the turn of the century. Right. Okay. How many of those did we have now in the 40 year old of today was a 20 year old at the turn of the century. And we know how many of those there were. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we looked at it on a, you know, on a time-lapse basis. Sure. And it just shows up in black and white that the primary attraction age for golf is between 25 and 40. Interesting. That's and sort of the bell sudden, curve there. Well, and all of a sudden, you know, you realize it's because instead of being distracted by baseball, football, and, and tennis and soccer, um, they're now adults looking for recreational opportunities that don't include having to find nine friends to play against nine more friends. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it isn't so easy as dry, you know, riding your bike up to school and getting involved in a pickup softball game. Yeah, you're right. You know, so um anyway, golf the the primary attraction age and this when we went back and looked at it through time, it just comes out, you know, just really as a highlight. Yep. It's been the same for the last 60 years. Yeah, yeah. And so we need to emphasize how to get these, get them in, and then how to get them involved. And everybody talks about time and money. And yeah, those are factors, but they were factors. You know, they were factors when I was, you know, when I was 30. Sure. You know, I had a real demanding job. I was, I, you know, I had a new baby. I had, you know, I mean, I had pull, pulls on my time. Now, I, all of a sudden, I started getting requests to go play golf in a business setting. So, I mean, all of a sudden, I started playing more golf again after playing nothing between the age of 15 and 25 because yeah. I was involved in other stuff. But all of a sudden, I started playing more and having to play more. Okay, so I don't want to look like an idiot, so... <laughs> and then, you know, try to but anyway, that uh, process is repeated and repeated and repeated. And so anyway, people will spend money for, you know, for recreational, they'll spend money and they'll spend recreational time on things they enjoy doing, mm -hmm. you know, and it, the key is to get people up to speed so that they can enjoy golf faster. Yeah. Um, and you know, the instructional things and I, I'm an old ski instructor. Um, and the biggest thing that helped skiing was going down to shorter skis, the graduated length method in the early 1970s. Yeah. But that got people so that they could enjoy skiing much, much faster. And there are things that we can do in golf that don't involve you know, six weeks or 12 weeks of rebuilding, you know, a swing or teaching someone how to swing a specific way. There are faster teaching methods mm -hmm. um, that are out there. I mean, I don't want to bring up history or too much, but I mean, if somebody knows or pays attention to Ernest Jones and his teachings that date back to World War One and the 1920s, 
um, if they pay attention, they'll realize that Bobby Jones, that was the root of his deal, and that Ernest Jones' teaching is still alive with a whole bunch of instructors around the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. You know, he had, you know, Manuel Delatore kept it alive for like 70 years. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and Manuel, even though he died a couple of years back, he's got you know, I've run into more manual disciples over the years than I ever thought I would. <laughs> um, but they're out there. And, sure. and that is a faster method of getting people to enjoy. And I mean, you know, as much as he enjoyed teaching Carol Mann and Tommy Aaron and some of these tour people, you know, oh, you know, Sherry Steinauer and mm-hmm. uh, Beth Daniel. Um, oh, God, David. <laughs> David Frost and Chip Beck. I mean, you'd see a parade of people yeah, yeah. coming to see Manuel, but the biggest teaching he did was teaching a bunch of uncoordinated CEOs of major corporations <laughs> how to play and enjoy golf. And then he took on their wives. Yeah. And how to get them. ready for the Bob Hope real quick kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so anyway, there, the teaching, but the wrinkle is going to be is that you got to figure out how to make it you know, it's got to be perceived as free or very inexpensive for the millennial group to get them, you know, to get them involved. Yeah. yeah. And there are ways to do this. I mean, I've, you know, from the start of Get Golf Ready, I mean, Get Golf Ready is the same five-part program we wrote 25 years ago. Yeah. Um, Now it's morphed into more of a program for women. Well, as we said in the state of the industry this year, what we need is a Miller Lite you know, approach to this where it'll show Bob Euchre or, you know, Mean Joe Green or some of these other guys that were in the Miller Lite commercials that turned yeah. something, you know, that used to be a female beer, you know, or a, a, a low calorie beer for women, right, turned right. it into a major deal. Yeah. A brand, so, brand yeah, shift. And so, and then Get Golf Ready also should be, I mean, it might cost $99. I don't think it should. I think that, the, you know, it should be more of something else. But that $99 can be free at a given golf facility if it includes a coupon for half off on the next four rounds of golf or free rental clubs to, you know, all the participants when they come out to play mm-hmm. to where it's a self-liquidating thing. And then you get them involved. Yeah, that's the key. You know, you can't expect somebody to take five, you know, introductory lessons and go out and spend $3,000 on everything that goes into a golf bag either. Yeah, before they even know if they like it, right? That's right. It doesn't make any sense. But any, but, you know, and we would talk about this with Kathy Harbin when she was running the, you know, get golf ready thing. And we'd say the same thing to, you know, the new guy that they brought in to, you know, supposedly resuscitate it. But. You know, and I mean, Susie Whaley made five great videos mm-hmm. for Get Agreed. Golf Ready that you can't find easily on the web. Now, they're with two, you know, two other women, um, you know, so it's kind of got that female twist to it. It's the, the invite her thing. Yep. But, they're, but they're great videos. Yeah. But you can't find them anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, it's... It's a so, great billboard in the middle of the desert. Is that what you're saying? 
<laughs> yeah, and and three hundred yards off the road, so you can't read it. <laughs> so, but anyway, I mean, golf is you know it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful game. Um, I can't say, you know, I think people underestimate how hard a business it is, mm. um, because the you know, you're, as we say in our state of the industry, you know, every other year or maybe it ends up almost being every year, a golf course owner is running four distinct businesses. Right. They're running a farm. They're running a commercial real estate business with inventory that gets obsolete every minute. Mm-hmm. They're running a general store. And a restaurant. And then they're running a bar and restaurant. Yep all that require four different skill sets really. Mm-hmm. And so Knowledge it's a very basic. difficult business to run. And then, you know, a lot of these POS vendors and I have to, I tell them this all the time. Now you expect these people to become tech experts too. <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, you guys have got to make this easy for your owner clients. Get this stuff integrated for them and easy to use. And by the way, if you do that, you're going to end up being indispensable to them and they won't switch to some barter alternative. Yeah, they're, they're, and first to market with that wins all the market share. Got to. You well, know, you know, eventually. I mean, that, that what I've learned over the years, and I mean, we've dissected most of the major POS platforms. You know, uh, every golf course is a snowflake. And so there isn't just one point of sale system that automatically works for everybody. Right. You know, some people have fine dining. Some people don't. Some people, right. you know, have a lot of merchandise sales. Some people don't. Um, so there are different, you know, I, I, we try pretty much to stay not platform neutral because there are some platforms out there that are just plain worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are some platforms that can be downright damaging to your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, if pressed, we let people know what they should stay away from <laughs> or if asked. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But by and large, I mean, even as much as I hate the barter system, the, the old four reservations that golf now is, you know, I mean, it's good software. Yeah. It didn't grow to 2000, you know, plus installations because it was bad software. Right. In fact, in a lot of ways, it was very good and a lot better um, than some of the other stuff that was available. Yeah. You know, the problem is that 95% of the features on all these platforms don't get used because they're too hard to use for the golf course operator. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. You get lost in all the bells and whistles. We've been there. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, uh, the challenges for the golf industry, I mean, we document them. I mean, a lot of people think we're pessimistic. Um, but, you know, over the last 15 years, we haven't had much good stuff to write about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that golf isn't a good game. And it doesn't mean that golf is dying. No. No. You know, isn't. I mean... We, we've still got 20 million golfers to, to work on to play more golf, and we're going to attract more people. 
Uh, the problem is keeping the ones we've got and keeping them engaged. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll tell you one, one piece, and we can wrap up with this, but one piece that really resonated with me was um, it was an article or two that you guys did where you were talking about, you know, sort of the next 10 or 15 years where we've got sort of the, the last eight or 10 years, the market has been pretty darn frothy, right? The, since our recession, the market, the economy, I should say in general is doing pretty well. Um, but we've got, a baby boomer generation, the 55 plus crowds playing more than half the golf out of anybody. And neither of those two circumstances are going to last forever. So no, now, but we, now is the time, right? Now is the time right now. We still, golf. yeah, we have a window, you know, I mean, we, we, we said that this, you know, um, you know, the original thing was that the baby boomers were going to make everybody in the golf business rich. That's mm -hmm. what somebody some other organization in golf said 30 years ago that caused a lot of these problems in the first place. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, the, we, you know, we've got another nine years before all the baby boomers even reach retirement age, which is when they play the most golf. Yeah. And so we've got that and we've had, you know, 10 years of baby boomers retiring so far and that's what's bailed us all out. I mean, if you look back over the last eight years or so, golf has pretty much followed the weather. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so we've had a, you know, on a weather adjusted basis, we've had, you know, a relatively stable level of demand. And that's going to keep going for another 10 years. Yep. We're, you know, we're a little bit, it may continue even, you know, another couple of years after that, because the people are healthier later, you know, or sure, long, sure, healthier longer. Yep. yep. Um, but we still, uh, what it boils down to though, is we got 10 years to fix the hole because as it stands right now, we have 4 million fewer golfers in the age group of 25 to let's say 55. Sort of in the pipeline. We got 4 million fewer golfers than we did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's going to that's going to cause a problem as they work themselves through the system. We just won't have as many golfers playing a lot of rounds, you know, 15 years from now as we did mm -hmm. um, in, in this current time period. So it means, yeah, we got we got eight or nine or ten years to fix uh, what's going on here, yeah. and you know, um, and it may. I mean, it may very well be that golf because it's not a game for everybody. Um, it may be that golf retreats a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, skiing and tennis retreated. Um, you know, tennis has come back a little bit, but skiing is still, you know, they're operating with half the number of skiers that they did in 1970. Yeah. They found snowboarding though, right? Well, I mean, that even, no, that adds, that keeps, that includes snowboarding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but without snowboarding, snowboarding, think of it. Yeah, without it's, snowboarding. It, yeah. Without snowboarding, they'd be really, really screwed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, um, but skiing has also been able to raise rates. Yes. Um, and then they've done a much better job of engaging customers. I mean, you, you go ski 
um, today and you get a report back as to how many vertical feet you skied that day Wow! from the ski area because they're tracking using RFID mm -hmm. um, and locations on your lift ticket. They're tracking which lifts you ride and what the vertical drop is from those lifts. Yeah, sure. And then at the end of the day, they're sending you a report that said, look, you did 19,000 vertical feet. Well, all of a sudden you feel like you got your money's worth. Yeah, and the next time you want to do 22,000. Well, and by the way, you know, <laughs> um, do you want to book your, do you want to reload your ticket for next weekend? Exactly. Yeah. You know, so the, you know, the use of that kind of technology where we have the ability that it's not that it isn't quite as universal, but it's being introduced. It's been used in Europe for a long time, mm -hmm. you know, or longer, but we have the ability to do that kind of tracking in golf too. Sure. And, you know, so we, we just have to get serious about that. And so skiing has been able to show, you know, demonstrate to somebody that they got value or they've added different things to make the customer feel like they got something of value. Sure. Sure. And they've also, I mean, they've reduced lift line, you know, lift lines and, stuff like that to you know enable people to get more vertical feed in right so yeah like i like the gamification stuff i mean all of this um you know sort of goes back to using data and using the information that that we have if it wasn't so fragmented and bringing that together and and improving that customer experience so um well, yeah, that's, the big, that's, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah, and in the, at the end of the day, the roadblock, I mean, the golf course owners and operators, you know, they got a tough enough job as it is. Mm -hmm. You know, the people that are really falling down on the job yeah. are the tech providers. Yep. I mean, if Google can make it easy for, you know, people to find golfers and Facebook can, you know, when are the tech provide golf specific tech providers going to do some of this stuff and make it easy for the operator to use it? Yeah. But you know what? The operator has to ask these people. Yeah, it, you're right. It's got to come from. It's I mean, going to come from the demand. Yep. I um, mean, most of the you know, but most of the golf course operators don't ask. Yeah. I well, mean, they don't know that they need it. They 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 haven't been. In some markets, they, there there isn't, um, you know, may, whether it's uh, they're not feeling the the hit just yet, they're not feeling the competition. The, you know, when when they're held to the fire, they're gonna they're gonna want those competitive advantages, especially when the snowball gets rolling. They see their the guys down the street starting to use it. Right. Yeah, and I mean that's part of it. But I mean, somebody, you know, they just, you know, they they got to realize that they're in a survival game too. I mean, yeah. you know, you've got 2000 golf courses that have closed over the last 12 years. Um, net. Right. And you know, there are going to be a bunch more close in the, you know, what's going to happen is what's the formula to be one of the survivors. Yeah. And you know, in order to be one of the survivors, you got to know how to, you know, protect your customers and, you know, uh, it, and, and 
figure out how to serve your customers really, really well. I mean, when we, when we see successful operators, um, you know, they're, they're just working it better than some other people do. Yep. Um, and Tell them better stories and, you know, well, they're, they're identifying their, they're identifying their niche in the market. They're, yeah. you know, but they're paying attention to customer service details. They're paying attention to the fact that, you know, the younger golfers that they have are really into the experience more than just, you know, lucky to be out on the golf course. Yeah. It's, you know, they're, they're into the experience. Right. They also, you know, I mean, if you make it easy for them to do it and easy for them to go viral for you, you know, they can end up being your best, you know, promoters because they're sending their damn selfies and self-indulgent stuff out all <laughs> over the place to their friends. Yeah. Hopefully having fun. Now the flip side of that too, is if they don't like what you do for them, yeah, it's gonna um, be they can crucify you in the social media, you know, um, yep. Cyberspace that you're social and, proof. You know, it's impossible to get rid of that stuff in a lot of cases. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hope you enjoyed that chat with Stuart today. Really good guy. Really, really knowledgeable on the golf industry. KPI Golf is doing a lot of stuff with him and, and his companies. We're looking forward to a lot of good stuff. And uh, if you want to reach Stuart for any reason, I have all the contact information on the KPI website. Just visit and we'll point you in the right direction or give me a call. By the way, guys, if you know of a golf course or a club owner or members that are noticing some deferred maintenance, cutting some staff, those are warning signs, right? Put them in contact with us. Cheers, guys.